welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name's Mike Rankin. I will be your host, assisted by James Fox, senior writer here at Future Sox. Shout out to Dan Santoromita for filling in for me in the last episode. James, you two had a really good conversation. Happy to be back. We have Ben Badler upcoming from Baseball America, international signing period. Uh, well, the date is passed, January 15th. There's a lot of names, though, left to be officially signed by the time that we are recording this podcast. We believe that guys like Norhe Vera and the rest of the class, which we will detail later on in this episode, uh, will be signed. So no need to worry there. But heavy, heavy international focus today, James. I'm really looking forward to exploring the mind of Ben Badler, one of the best in the business, as well as your own. Good to speak with you again, sir. You too, man. Good to have you back. Yeah. How's the little man? He's good. He's he's real good. It's it's crazy. He's like eight weeks old. So That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. How is uh, how's Les Grabstein? Well... Uh yeah, what what did you say about uh your 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 man your your little guy? He's eight weeks old. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a little older than that. So we have boy, it's, it's been fun. It's been fun thinking about the White Sox over the last few weeks. It's been fun following this international period because as we get into it with Ben Badler, the start of it, James. Like, here's the thing about this class: they started in well, really, the report started coming in in February. Right, like Yoelki Cespedes, Norhi Vera, a lot of these reports, uh, a full signing class was reported in February of 2020, like around that time. Typically, the the signing period is in July. That got pushed back to January 15th. The White Sox announced Yoelki Cespedes. We will detail a little bit more about Cespedes here in a second. We have some quotes from Marco Patti that we'd like to share, courtesy of the White Sox. But this period has been difficult i guess to follow because you know the the typical circumstances can't be followed but the white Sox, it appears that we're you know everything is fine (laughs) like all these names that were supposed to be officially signed on the 15th that haven't been yet will be at some point here soon but we do know cespedes is here and that's a good thing yeah so the cespedes signing is the only one that's been made official like you said it's it's super weird like this was supposed to be july 2nd of uh the previous year of 2020 and we knew about, you know, I'd reported on Future Sox. I had six names of, you know, Dominican and Venezuelan players. And then I think February is the first time we heard Cuban right-hander Nori Vero was signing as well. So then, you know, the speculation was the Sox had around $2 million left in their bonus pool for either Yoelki Cespedes or Oscar Colas. Um, obviously, you know, we, we've talked about it ad nauseum. You know they 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 prioritize Cespedes in this period. He that that deal is finished. The others, you know, should become official as early as sometime this week. Yeah, it's just it's weird. The class got pushed back six months, and uh, it's all finally becoming official across baseball. Yeah, so we're looking forward to Norhe Vera. Have some quotes from Patty on him. Let's start with Yuelki Cespedes. But first, before we get into it, a lot of the other names attached to this international period: Victor Quezada, third base. Prospect out of the Dominican, Manuel Garimon, the catcher uh, from Venezuela, Dario Barrero, an outfielder from Venezuela, Adrian Gill, a right-handed pitcher from Venezuela. So those are the names that we can expect, at least, that, James, you've been reporting on, as well as a lot of major outlets um, and those covering the international scene have reported attached to the White Sox. So those are names that we can keep an eye on. But first, let's start with Yoelki. Mr. Cespedes, the half-brother of Yuenis. And listening to Marco Patti after the official announcement a couple of days ago, Patti talked about his skill set and where he projects him to play in the big leagues. Uh, Some encouraging stuff. Of course, you're going to hear that from the guy who signed and scouted him. But the White Sox believe they have a little something here in Uelke as a big league regular. Let's hear what Patti has to say about his ability to play the outfield, if he can stick in center field, as well as him describing some of his tools. Yoelki is a uh, natural center fielder, obviously with ability to play all three outfield spots. And there's there's a lot of tools. The tool sets uh, is there. You know, he's a, he can run, he can throw. He's a very good uh, discipline hitter with a good feel for the strike zone. And he's shown tremendous power from all to, to all sides of the field. So we're getting a guy that uh, has the potential to have five tools in the major leagues. And, you know, we're very excited about it. So, James, after listening to Patty there, he has the potential to have five tools, which is encouraging, <laughs> you know. And 
He also mentioned the power. The power improved because it looks like his physique has improved. The bat speed is there. But also I think what's important to recognize is he's able to hit for power to all fields, at least according to Patty. Yeah, so I mean, it seems like the power is going to be, and I think I wrote this, like the the speed, he's got plus speed and a plus plus arm, so he can play all three spots. I think that gets him to the big leagues, but I think if he develops power, that's what makes him like a regular in a corner. Marco Patti talked a lot about how he can play center. He obviously doesn't need to play center for the White Sox with Luis Robert entrenched there. You know, but it seems like, I mean, they've been very optimistic. And, you know, it seems like 2022 debut isn't completely out of the question. I mean, he is 23. I'm thinking he probably starts at Winston-Salem, but if he hits at Winston, I mean, he'll be in double A quickly. And then, you know, from there, all bets are off. So, you know, I think, I think he is a big leaguer. I think, you know, obviously like we've talked about, this isn't like Lewis Robert 2.0 where you're getting like some sort of superstar, but you know, if he does have 20 to 25 home run power, like Marco Patti has talked about, then, you know, it is an actual, dude because of his defensive ability and and he can really run and throw Cespit is a little over two million dollar signing here internationally and you're right you, you talk about he's not a huge uh, big name prospect like Luis Robert but this appears to be a big league contributor and also like you said uh, a lot of these tools can translate Marco Patti has an idea as well well at least on where he stands currently in his in his development, you said Winston-Salem. I mean, at 23 years old, if he starts at Winston, all things go accordingly. You know, allow him to hit professional pitching stateside. There's opportunity for him to move to the big leagues quickly. So let's see what Patty has to say about his timeline potentially. When you're talking about a player, you, you, you never want to put like a timetable on his arrival. But from a baseball standpoint, uh, he's very close. I mean, he's advanced. He knows how to play the game. He's played uh, since he was 19 years old. He's been on the Cuban national team with a lot of international experience. He was in the World Classic in, in Tokyo and he's been to two Caribbean series. So uh, combined with his Cuban experience, you know, he's very advanced. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, him getting adjusted and doing the things that he needs to do to advance, but he's very close to the major leagues. So some more encouraging stuff from Patty as he explains. You know, he's got that experience in Cuba, played in the Caribbean series multiple times. I mean, that's what you're looking for, I guess, if if you're spending this type of money, James, on a player who is this advanced in his development and this old, who hasn't played stateside yet. I think what you're looking for is someone to rise through the ranks quickly. So it does. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, that they think that he's going to come quick, but I mean, he, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't played in a while. I like the fact that they've been down to Florida to see him. And I think like a lot of scouts, like scouts haven't seen him in probably over a year. So, you know, we talk about this often where team sources like love their own people. And that's, that's true in this case too, but they have like been down to Florida to see him. He's put on a bunch of mass. Um, so, you know, I think his, the, the way he, he takes to being a professional and playing every day and that sort of stuff seems like it's kind of, what's going to drive this thing. Um, The one thing I'm curious, I'm curious to see if he gets a major league invite to spring training. I think that would be interesting. Like if, you know, because if it is like a tiered spring training where the minor league guys are coming in after, maybe they bring him in um, with a major league invite and then just like leave him there with the minor league guys. That would, that's something that I want to watch. Yeah. I think he would be able to handle that too. And uh, just based on, you know, his experience to this point, we, we really haven't seen much, other than um, what's been available out there, of course. But yeah, the fact that you mentioned he was working out in Florida is is advantageous for the White Sox, part of the reason why they were able to get the deal done and sign it on the day of uh, the international signing period, January 15th. Uh, So yeah, no, a lot to keep an eye on regarding Yoelki Cespedes. Let's move on to the other high-profile name real quick, James, Norhe Vera, right-handed pitcher, 20 years old. This is somebody who... Has yet to officially sign as the as we record this podcast, like we mentioned. However, Marco Petty spoke on that situation. He feels confident that they'll get the deal done here shortly, whenever that timetable may be. Uh, like you said, maybe hopefully by the end of this week. Otherwise, you know, we'll, we'll just have to keep an eye on it as well as what Petty believes that he sees in Vera potentially being a frontline starter. Yeah, they, they, we're working on Vera, and 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 hopefully uh, things develop the way we expect it to. To, to happen uh, it's just a matter of time and and hopefully we can 
uh, reached an agreement. But yes, we're working on that situation, and and uh, you know, like I say, we we feel pretty solid about our chances to get that deal done. Vera is uh, he's about six three, six four, a power power arm, a fastball. 95 to 97, uh, two breaking pitches, a curveball and a slider, and great feel for the changeup. Uh, he's got uh, potential to be a frontline starter in the big leagues, uh, commands the strike zone, and, and has a great feel for pitching. And everything he does, I mean, Paris is still growing. I mean, he's a kid that's still got room to add 20, 25 pounds. And everything he does is, is fairly easy. So um, very mature, a good head on his shoulders, knows how to pitch and very good competitors. So uh, we are excited about uh, that possibility. I mean, really interesting guy. I mean, obviously, I think we've talked about ranking, you know, like we're going to be doing our our top 30s. And I think most people would have Cespedes at six, like after Jared Kelly. But I mean, I don't know, like Norhe Vera is right in that cluster, like with the other high school guys. And I think you could make the argument that he's, you know, that you could put him ahead of Thompson and Dahlquist or you could put him after. But, I mean, you know, those guys aren't hitting 97 consistently with the advanced body that he has. So, yeah, I mean, he's a guy where, I mean, if he goes to Kannapolis, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a top 100 prospect, like, really soon if he pitches up to expectations. It's just, you know, another guy that people haven't seen, but he's added – you know, he's added strength and the fastball's up to 97. And one of the reasons the White Sox were able to sign him for 1.5 million is that like the, you know, I heard that like the stuff kind of played a little bit down, like in workouts, you know, where he was only like 92, 93. So if they got him for 1.5 million and now he's hitting 97, well, you know, maybe, maybe they figured something out and this guy is a little bit better than even some of the scouts and reports have indicated. It's very encouraging. You watch videos on the kid and you see his frame, and you heard what Patty said around 6'4". I mean, he, he's lean. It doesn't seem like he's filled into his frame yet. And when you think about that, you talked about added strength. Look at what it's done already, and yet you still feel like he's a little undersized uh, strength-wise. So, I mean, look, that's that's just another encouraging thing to keep an eye on for the White Sox because, I mean, you look at the delivery from Vera, pretty consistent. Watching the videos, he's got a sharp slider, release point consistent upper 90s fastball, like you said, when he really wants to get it up there. If he can sit low to mid-90s, and I guess his slider is his, his best out pitch to this point, but you know, as he continues to evolve and improve, you get three pitches, That that's a, that's a mid-rotation starter you got right there. I know Patty was very excited about him being a top-of-the-rotation starter, but realistically, expectations, if, if he's finding a spot in a starting rotation at the major league level within two years, I think that is a huge win. Yeah, for sure, especially for, you know, the money. I mean, one and a half million is just not very much money at all, especially for a guy like this. I mean, I think baseball executives throw around, like, frontline starter a little bit liberally sometimes. I mean, but if this guy is, like, a number three or a number four for one and a half million dollars, I mean, that's that's a huge asset. So, you know, it's just a guy that will go into their system and we'll, you know, hopefully watch him pitch stateside this year. All right, James, plenty more to come. We have Ben Badler joining us. So let's get you to Ben Badler on the Future Sox podcast, Ben Badler of Baseball America. It's a pleasure to welcome back a friend of the program, Ben Badler of Baseball America, joining us here on the Future Sox podcast. Ben, thanks so much again for taking the time. Last time we spoke, December leading into 2020. So a lot's changed, including a a total pandemic that pushed back the international signing period, which we'll get to. First, want to welcome you back. Thanks again, again, like I said, for jumping on the podcast and wanted to check in on you and and your schedule because it's been a little thrown off here uh, across 2020. So uh, how are you and the Baseball America folks doing? I am gassed, man. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm pretty tired, but um, it, it was been uh, you know January fifteenth, the start of the signing period was such a uh, crazy day. I think I got like two two hundred or so signing photos in between the uh, Friday, Saturday, and, and obviously some more still uh, trickling in right now. So it was uh, chaotic, but uh, it's like a just such a super fun day to see all these kids signing and celebrating with their families. I mean, it's, it's always really cool to see. And it's, I I always really enjoy seeing the photos of these players, especially this year with everything that's happened. The, you know, these kids thought they were going to sign on July 2nd and then it it gets pushed back to 
January 15th and, and just everything that's gone on in the world is so crazy. So I'm just, uh, super happy for, for a lot of these kids and, and excited to, uh, see their, their signing photos from, from the day. And, and yeah, for, for us, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's definitely different, right? Cause like usually this happens on, you know, July 2nd, which usually is in the middle of the minor league season and right after the draft. So it's, there's just so much going on then. Uh, but right now it's like, you know, we were just finishing up our prospect handbook right before Christmas. Uh, so we're working on that and usually take like a little bit of time off, but uh, then, you know, we just had to, I had to get everything ready for, for January 15th. And we got our top 100 prospects uh, up on on the site right now. So um, it's, it's been busy, but I'll, I'll definitely take uh, busy right now. Cause uh, after everything we, we went through in, in 2020, the lack of, uh, lack of much, much of anything going on in, in baseball. It's, uh, it's good to have a lot of action right now. Well, you're an awesome resource uh, for all of us, and especially here at, at Future Sox. We appreciate you and all the hard work over at Baseball America. You can find Ben's work, of course, at BaseballAmerica.com. Follow him on Twitter at Ben Badler. All right, Ben, let's kick it off. You mentioned the international signing period, of course, and uh, you've, been, you've been pretty popular around these parts here in Chicago because, well, Yolki Cespedes, top international signing, comes to Chicago. Marco Patti raved about potential five tool ability and he believes that he can stick in center field we're really excited of course with the bloodline Ioannis Cespedes of course the the half brother so I was curious your overall evaluation and if what I mentioned was was true in your eyes about Marco Patti's evaluation when he mentioned he could stick in center and he's got potential to be five tools yeah it's uh it's it's tough to say uh on on him just because the you know the the caveat here is like you know he he left Cuba. Uh, he's been you know training in in Florida. Uh, that just you know at his at his brother's ranch down there, and you know the the pandemic hit, and MLB at the time put in a, a scouting ban on all international players. Now there was no scouting ban on players in the United States, right? Like you you saw all these summer showcase games going on, perfect game, all all, all that stuff. And, you know, teams could go see those players, but you know, if if it's an international player, uh, they, they weren't allowed to go see those players um, for about six months from March through, through, I think the end of September. Um, So, uh, you know, after that, it's, you know, it's, it's still like the, the way the, because of the way the international signing process works where, you know, these, these players are, are committing to clubs, uh, you know, years in advance now, uh, before their, their signing eligibility, uh, you know, especially Cuban players are in a, a, a real tough spot, uh, because, you know, they can't reach a deal with a club while they're, they're still in Cuba. Right. So they have to, wait until until they they leave the country and a team knows they're they're going to be available to sign so like by the time Cespedes came out a lot of teams had already basically committed their bonus pool money elsewhere right like it's not officially you know binding agreements but that that money's already been committed so a, a lot of teams said well you know by the time they they could go in and see him it's it's not like they were going to go send in a bunch of people to, to go scout him in in person, if, if they don't have any money available, I mean, not even just for this, you know, current January 15th signing period, but even for uh, the, the following one too, uh, you know, and, and especially in a, you know, a pandemic to, to be sending people across, you know, the country and flying around and traveling, um, you know, to see a player that you pretty much know you're not going to sign. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I, I don't think there were a whole ton of teams that really got, um, you know, updated looks on him this year. Obviously the, the White Sox are an exception and, and you know, team, you know, they, there, there is some, you know, history on, on Yelelke. He, he played in the world baseball classic. Now that was a few years ago. Uh, you know, I remember, you know, seeing him play in, um, you know, in, in that event, uh, you know, there's some other places he, he played to. Um, and, and I know some scouts who saw him at the time were, um, you know, liked him quite a bit, probably more than, more than I did, uh, from, from seeing him in, in those same looks. But I mean, yeah, he, he does have, uh, uh, a lot of bat speed. He's, he's a good athlete. Um, 
you know, he, he played in, in Cuba and in Syria national, uh, as a, I think he was like 2021 20, at the time he must've been. And it, you know, it wasn't like great performance then it, you know, it wasn't like the numbers that, uh, you know, like Jose Abreu or, or, or Yoani Cespedes were, were putting up at the time. Obviously those guys were, were a lot older, but, um, you know, I, I think that's, you know, he, he is definitely a, a really interesting player, but, uh, still, you know, it's not so much like a criticism of his bass, just more of like, uh, you know, we don't know quite yet, uh, what to make of, of the, of the hitting ability, which is obviously, you know, super important for his value just until we really see him get tested against, uh, you know, so we see until we see him getting tested against better pitching, which, you know, isn't really his fault by any means. It's, it's just more, uh, circumstantial right now. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, that is, you talk about the dynamic of scouting these players at this point. It's difficult, and you really don't know what you have until you see him play stateside, and Cespedes has been working out stateside, so at least he's here. Since, you know, we're on the subject, and he's 23 years old, so he's a little bit more advanced. You mentioned he played for Cuba. Uh, He played for the Cuban national team for multiple seasons now, so it seems like at least in his timeline, he he's more advanced than a lot of these other international prospects. Do you believe that he is capable of starting at an advanced A level, say Winston Salem, to begin the year? I I would hope so. Uh, you know, if you're you know if you're if you're signing somebody at uh, you know at, at his age at twenty three, I I would hope so. I mean, I don't you know even some of the starting assignment stuff like it. it Again, it goes, kind of goes back to like the inserno we were talking about before, and then like, oh, you know, by the way, like we don't even know when like, the the minor league season exactly is is going to start, or or how that's going to look. So that's, uh, you know, e- everything is such a, a mess right now. So, uh, but I would, you know, I would hope he could start there. But you know, if if they want to take it even slower with him, I I, I could see that. So, uh, but I, I certainly think the hope is that he at least finishes the year. Um, you know, in, in double a, but it's, it's, it's tough, especially with such a, you know, a long, you know, everybody's kind of had a long layoff at this point, but you know, at least the guys who've already been in the organization, you know, could have played at the alternate site last year, could have played at instructional league, could have played in, in winter ball. Uh, so it's, it's just been, it's been a while since he's, you know, faced a lot of live, you know, live pitching or, or, or played in real competitive games and and you know look, we've we've seen that with some other cuban players too before right like you know jose abreu made it look super easy but like you know Mo, yoan moncada came over and you know he's he started he was younger than uh yoelki but you know his his first uh time for for maybe his first month or two maybe i think he was in low a we, he was kind of struggling for for a while and people were like oh like you guys were overrating yoan moncada i'm like oh. All right, let's let's hold on. Like this, you know, these, these guys go through pretty long. The Cuban players, in a lot of cases, you know, a long layoff from competitive baseball. Like it takes some time to, you know, to get your your timing back. You know, especially as a as a hitter. Uh, word is Guriel Jr. Um, you know, he was he was struggling for for a while, and I think he had some injuries too that he was he was battling through. So. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not too uncommon to see some of these, you know, Cuban players, if, if they've had a pretty significant layoff from competitive baseball, um, struggle at first. So I always try to, you know, be a little bit patient with, with them to, you know, wait for them to, to get their time back. And, you know, especially right now with, with everything that happened, um, you know, over the past year, I think that's, uh, going to be important, although I'm, I'm sure people will, uh, will not listen to that <laughs> advice. Ben, the other high-profile name that's been like mentioned to the White Sox in this class is Norhe Vera, um, right-handed pitcher out of Cuba. He he's not officially signed yet. First, do you have any update, I guess, on maybe why he's not signed and what's, you know, what the holdup is there? And then, just from a scouting perspective, Marco Patti has been on record talking about him. You know, said that he's the fastball's been up to ninety-seven. You know, it's a projectable frame. But I remember. Back when they signed him for one and a half million, you know, or agreed to terms with him, there was some talk that that there was a bit of a velocity dip. So I guess how could you? You I think you've even said he was probably the best pitcher in the class. How, how does that equate to him only getting uh, 
1.5 million in this class and then just your overall scouting assessment of that of the pitcher yeah so i mean they they signed Cespedes as the first day you know my i think he's in florida so they just kind of went over and uh signed him right away uh so they haven't you know officially signed vera and, and some of the other players so they have agreements yet which you know which is pretty common uh at least uh, this year i mean you know i've probably seen a bunch of signing photos of, of players but you know there's a couple other teams that I, I believe haven't officially signed any players yet and there, there's a bunch of other uh you know pretty high profile players who haven't officially signed a contract yet uh a lot of it i you know i think is just like covid related reasons uh just you know you know there, there's just different rule mlb has different rules on like who can be in the academies and how many people you know and 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 that these different countries have different laws and, and curfews in in place. And, you know, especially for like Venezuelan players, you know, so you've got to, and some teams are flying them into the Dominican Republic, uh, to, you know, to make sure they have a physical there before they sign a contract. So uh, there's a bunch of logistical issues there. And, and, you know, the Dominican Republic too, is just a much smaller country than Venezuela. Uh, and a, I would say a much safer country. There's a lot more safety issues in, in Venezuela. So to, you know, sign players just, uh, you know, takes a little bit more, um, time there sometimes. Um, so I, you know, these, I think these guys are all going to sign. They just haven't officially, um, you know, signed on the, on the dotted line quite yet. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Vera, uh, it sounds like it's about one and a half million for, for him, which should be, uh, unless I'm missing somebody off the top of my head, I think that's the top bonus for a pitcher this year. But, um, you know, that, with the caveat that just te- teams just don't pay for 16 year old pitching typically. I mean, the, you know, you have like Eric Pardino who signed with the Blue Jays a, a few years back for, uh, I think 1.4 million. You know, Anderson Espinosa, uh, the Red Sox was a big, big signing. And, um, I think teams just say, look, you know, you can see how much risk there is in high school pitching in the draft when they're 18 years old. So with international pitching at, at 16 years old, uh, you can magnify that risk even more. And, and the reality is you're, you know, a lot of times making the actual signing decision when they're, you know, 15 or, or 14 years old too. So like, I think teams rightfully so are saying we're, you know, we're going to spend most of our money on, uh, on the bats and and try to find pitching uh you know lower down the the bonus pool with uh with a few exceptions but but obviously vera is is a different boat right like he's 20 years old uh you know he has you know experience pitching in in cuba it's it's more like scouting a you know a college player essentially so um yeah i mean it's it he does have a a a pretty strong arm experience pitching for for cuba different international tournaments i've yeah I've, I've heard him up to to 96 if if marco patty says he's saw up to 97 i'm you know i'm sure he's been up to to 97 too so um yeah i mean i've you know anywhere from 90 to to 96 i've seen him and you know it, it kind of depends i think which which scouts you talk to and then what day they they saw him um what they what they thought of his his secondary stuff some you know mixed reviews on that i know he's going through some mechanical adjustments uh i think he threw a splitter in, in cuba a lot of guys throw a splitter there so he's sort of i think switching over to uh a change up is, is my understanding but uh you know i think he's primarily fastball slider um so yeah definitely uh definitely an interesting arm to be able to add to the organization but yeah i mean kind of the same thing as um you know Cespedes. it's you know just trying to <laughs> gotta wait a little bit now to to get some updated information and and reports on, on a lot of these guys after this, uh, you know, layoff from, from the pandemic. So the White Sox have changed course a little bit in the amateur draft, and they've taken, you know, Jared Kelly, Andrew Dahlquist, Matthew Thompson with second, third round bonuses. And, uh, you know, out of high school, and those guys are probably going to start at low A Canapolis, we're, we're under the impression of. you think maybe Vera could be in that same rotation with those guys, or do you think he's more advanced than that? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. I, I would think the team... I, I I could see, you know, I could see Cespedes probably starting a little bit higher up, but I, I think Norhe Vera probably fits into that mix too. Yeah. So obviously the rest of their signing class isn't official. Um, you know, I reported some of it, 
here at Future Sox back, you know, months ago. You you've published some of the same names over at Baseball America. So I just just your opinion on what can you tell us about, you know, Victor Cazada is a power hitting third baseman out of the Dominican and then three Venezuelans, I believe, Manuel Garimon, the catcher, and then Dario Barrero and right-handed pitcher Adrian Gill. Yeah, so, you know, I can tell you what I've seen. I think I've seen all those, all three players except for Dario Barrera. Um, And obviously, I think when I saw Gill and Guarimon was probably, uh, let's see. I'm looking at some videos of them right now. This would have been from like November, I think, 2000. 18 and uh at a showcase in in aruba because a lot of the big venezuelan showcases now happen outside of uh venezuela but uh i mean quezada uh you know i think quezada will, will be the biggest bonus guy of of that group um you know he, he certainly fits the what the white Sox have have gone for a lot under marco patty which is power bats uh he's, he's definitely a, a big power hitter <laughs> um a, a lot of strength and, and physicality uh to him I, I think you know he's uh I don't know if he's gonna play ever at at shortstop I know I know he's working out as a shortstop but it's you know really, really more of a uh third base type profile and, and hope he can stay at third base but uh a lot of power probably a a power over over pure hit profile uh, at least when when I saw him but uh, definitely a, a guy who I think should grow into uh, plus, if if not better, power uh, down the road. But uh, a lot of very very physically advanced for his age, and a lot of uh, a lot of strength and power. Um, yeah, and then Adrian Gill, um, you know, not uh, not a huge power arm, not a, a big guy, but it seems like a you know pretty good strike thrower, pretty good pitch ability uh, for for his age with some with some starter. Uh, components there to him let's move forward Ben really good stuff there on the current class and we're just waiting at this point for those names to be official with the White Sox but as we look ahead now obviously the name that is on mainly White Sox fans minds is Oscar Colas and it's really interesting to see uh, the complications the international signing period has brought to a guy like Colas who is looking for a, a pretty decent bonus. And we're not sure when he will sign. Do you have any updates or your, I guess, feeling of how his situation may play out? And if he doesn't sign soon, does that benefit the White Sox and their chances to getting this player? Yeah, you know, it's it's you know, like we were talking about before, the this this hard capped signing bonus pool system really hurts Cuban players. So, you know, like we saw like just this year, Jan- like, you know, January 15th, the Marlins signs Yidi Cape, a, a shortstop from Cuba. You know, he had been out of Cuba and, and would have been eligible to sign uh, or was eligible to sign in the previous class. But he, you know, teams just didn't have bonus pool money to to spend on him because they'd already committed their uh, bonus pool money elsewhere. So he said, all right, well, I'll just wait another year, which I guess turned into another year and a half because of the, uh, you know, the postponement of the signing period to, to sign with the Marlins for, for three and a half million dollars. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, the, I think the Rockies are, are going to do the same thing with uh, another Cuban player, most likely uh, Dion Jorge, uh, you know, the Cuban players are in a really tough spot. I mean, it, they used to be in a, a great spot in the old system, right? Like we saw Luis Robert uh, get paid and Moncada and, and a whole bunch of other guys who are not quite as good as those guys get, get quite a bit of money uh, as well. But but this system really puts these players at a disadvantage. And then even more so this year when MLB, you know, during COVID is in March is all of a sudden changing the rules basically in the middle of the game saying, Oh, by the way, you know, these, you, you your clubs can't trade for more bonus pool money anymore, which uh, I, I really, really don't like that rule. I don't see how that benefits, uh, you know, anybody. It doesn't benefit the teams. It doesn't seem to benefit the, the players certainly in, in any way. It, it just uh, not a fan of, of that rule by any means. So, uh, you know, even if a team wanted to trade for more bonus pool money from, you know, 
you know, a bunch of different other clubs and, and try to sign a, uh, a player like Colas or another Cuban player. They, they can't even do that now. So uh, it's, it's really just a unfortunate situation for, for these guys. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the situation that he's in right now where, you know, I, I'm sure there are clubs that would be interested in signing him, but they just don't have any money left over uh, in their bonus pool in, in nearly every case. Certainly the White Sox are, are in that case. I mean, I think they basically went to Cespedes and said, all right, this is what we have left in our bonus pool money. <laughs> this is what we can offer you. Uh, so he, you know, he, he took that. Uh, but I think, yeah, you know, if, if, you know, maybe a couple teams that'll end up still having some money left over, but I, I think the, the more than likely he'll end up waiting to sign. I don't think that's necessarily a guarantee, but, but if he does, I, I do think that that probably benefits the the White Sox. Obviously they, uh, you know, they have a lot of interest in him and it certainly, like we're talking about, he's a Cuban player. They've basically spent, um, you know, or, or that the Cuban players have been the focus of, of their recent signing classes and, and especially, uh, you know, the power bats that they've been drawn to. So he certainly fits a lot of things that they've, they've looked for in, in players. So uh, if, you know, kind of sucks that he, he may have to wait uh, around for a year to sign. But if, if he does, I think that uh, certainly puts the White Sox in a favorable position to be able to sign him. Yeah. So, I mean, hypothetically, though, like a guy like Colas, right? If he were, you know, just to agree to terms with a team, not even the White Sox, any team, you know, mm-hmm. and he, he, he's getting his money in 2022 and that gets reported, you know, the team will never say anything, obviously. What is that player allowed to do, like, in the meantime until next January? Can he, like, play tricky league games in the DR or is he not even, like, allowed to do that at that point? Uh, yeah, so he can, I mean... Well, all right, like pre-COVID, I can, like, so, yeah, uh, right, yeah. Right. so, like, that would be different, like, now, but, like, so, yeah, so, like, pre-COVID, like, I mentioned Yiddy Cape, for example, with the Marlins, so, like, you know, he was, at that point, I saw him playing, I went to the Marlins Academy, yeah, for a tricky league game uh, against the, the Red Sox, I went to their academy, and he, you know, he was there, like, we have video on on our site, right now of, of Yidi Cape, you know, working out uh, with, you know, the Marlins and the rest of the, you know, Jose Salas was there and, and Ian Lewis or their second or shortstop from the Bahamas uh, was there. So, you know, their whole 2019 signing class and, you know, Cape is, you know, technically a free agent, but he had a, you know, an agreement in place to, to sign with the Marlins. He just wasn't going to be able to officially sign it because of the bonus pools until you know the following you know what he thought was july 2nd but ended up being january 15th uh so this would have been uh i'm out of blanking on the exact date but you know probably around either like august september october or something around then i think of uh of, of 2019 so yeah i mean the, the players are allowed to um go not you know not just cuban play it could be dominican venezuelan players um, you know, whoever can, can come into, uh, the club academies and, uh, you know, play games there. Now there's, you know, limitations on like how many days, uh, per month you can bring that player into your academy, uh, how many overnight, you know, how many days a player can stay overnight there. Um, there, there are limits on that. And, and then there's, I think limits on how many days per year, uh, and, you know, a, a player outside of the organization can enter your academy. Um, so, you know, there's limits on that. You can sort of get around it a little bit and like, you know, like I would go to, um, you know, I went to like a tricky league game at, uh, the Mets Academy and, you know, there were, you know, they were playing the Dodgers that day in a tricky league game and the Dodgers had players who they were going to be signing for, for the following year's class there, which technically counts, as a day that they were at the Mets Academy rather than the Dodgers Academy. So, you know, it's a good way for teams to, you know, just get these guys some more game experience. Now that was, this was all pre COVID, right? So like right now, like right now there's a lot of teams whose like academies are just totally shut down. And, uh, you know, some of them are, are open, but you know, there's rules on like who can be there and, and who can't like, uh, it's, and, and teams are still sort of figuring out what they're going to do now with these guys who, 
um, who just signed and, and what they're going to do with their, you know, the other players in the organization too. Cause you have like, you know, for like the Dominican summer league season, you know, we still don't know like what's going to happen, but like, you know, you have your 2000, you know, your January 15th class from this year, you know, they all need to play and you have your July 2nd class from 2019 and those guys haven't played yet either. So like <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different moving parts in there, but uh, yeah, I mean, un- under normal circumstances, these guys could, you know, go in and uh, like, like Colos could go in and, and play for, you know, the White Sox or, or any other club uh, in, in their academy with, with certain limitations, but uh, with, with COVID right now, it just sort of makes everything a little bit uh, um, murkier right now as far as what, you know, is actually even, you know, what teams are even actually going to do over, um, at least over the next few months. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, under the, this current, under the current rules, right? Like, next gen so the you know this is technically the 2020 class the 2021 class won't officially sign until january of 2022 so then you know at that point you know there there's probably you know if everything goes right a new collective bargaining agreement so do you think that there's a chance that you know next january is the last year under these rules and then some sort of international draft takes place after that or not quite that early on that front yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's very possible. I I think, you know, I, I I do think that in the next CBA there will be an international draft. I think it's just a question of when exactly it starts. Um, yeah, I mean, I think most likely, like you know, we'll see the signing class that you know should you know under normal circumstances would have been July second, two thousand twenty one. Uh, getting pushed back to January 15th, 2022. So we'll have that signing class. But yeah, I mean, the CBA, uh, you know, we'll have a new CBA at that point. Uh, So I think we could see, you know, these players who are, you know, what, you know, what people still call the 2022 class, uh, you know, they could be in, in an international draft. Uh, if, if, and if, if not that class, then the 2000 or what we're at least calling the 2023 class, uh, I think is even, even more likely, uh, I think a very high probability of them being in an international draft, uh, you know, in the last CBA, uh, negotiations, the, the owners were, were pushing hard for an international draft, um, you know, the MLB PA, like a lot of like the Latin American players pushed, back against it and and um you know there was some pushback there and i think that the owners just thought oh well we'll we'll get a draft and it won't be an issue and uh you know i wrote a lot about that and uh you know i'm sure ml oh i know mlb was super thrilled with (laughs) my uh my reporting on that so uh but yeah i i don't see that i don't see them putting up a i don't see the union really putting up much of a fight uh, against the international draft this time. Like I, I think last time they, they pushed back against it, but then ultimately acquiesced and gave the owners a hard cap. So like at this point, it's already a hard cap system. Uh, and the owners still, still want international draft. They, you know, they were going to have like a midterm bargaining negotiation, uh, you know, before, uh, they were going to push for an international draft in that, uh, you know, I, I think the union, look, these, these guys are not, you know, the international players are not on 40 man rosters. Right. So like, it's, you know, it's not because they're international players. It's just anybody who's not on a 40 man roster, international players, draft picks, uh, you know, minor league players who are, are making like, you know, eight grand a year playing in, in a ball, the, you know, the union doesn't really uh, look out and, and advocate for their interests, but, the union, I'm sure, will use the owner's desire for an international draft as a, a bargaining trip uh, or a bargaining chip to try to get something back in exchange for the major league players. And, you know, there's all sorts of <laughs> issues, uh, service time and uh, all, all sorts of other issues that, um, you know, I, I think the the union has uh, far higher up uh, their their concerns right now to try to get back something in exchange. So I think they will, um, you know, whether it's 
how how much they get in exchange for an international draft. Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, but I do think that uh, ultimately we we will see that coming in the next CBA. Man, that is that is some good stuff. Really informative. Thank you for that, of course, and and all the hard work over at Baseball America. A few more for you, Ben. Really, really good stuff here. I, I want to take you back to the White Sox system and where, you know, they stand currently with some of these younger players that I guess we, we haven't necessarily been able to see, and I'm not sure how much information you have updated across the year, but there are some names that we're high on at future Sox, And also baseball America has a few of these names listed in their um, latest top 30, which was the mid season top 30. So I want to go over a couple, but first I'd like to bring up Christian Mena. He was a player that you brought up to us at the tail end of 2019. So, yeah, I guess we'll, let's start there. How has Christian Mania or any information that you have on this player, how has he grown and what can we expect uh, to see out of him this season? And, and what do the White Sox really have in Mania? Yeah, I, I liked Christian Mania. I got to see him and, uh, you know, if you can go if on, our, on our site right now, you can probably see video of him from pitching at uh, Dominican Instructional League, uh, probably November 2019. Uh, pretty good delivery, uh, pretty good athlete for, for a pitcher, and the uh, arm works real well. Uh, fastball at that time was, you know, into the, the low 90s, per, you know, arm speed and, and physical projection for more and, and showed feel for a breaking ball. So uh, I, uh, that's like one player where I, I wish I had some better, uh, more updated information on him, but I don't, uh, I don't know that he, he, did he come, did he come over for, I don't think he came over for instructionally unless I'm, unless I'm mistaken. Cause he did, he did not, he, he yeah, hasn't played so. at all. So he, he yeah. was going to be, he was going to be in the DSL last year and then the season was wiped. So, yeah. So yeah, that's like, you know, some of these, like the other guys who were at, you know, us instructs, we got updated information on them, but like, you know, you know, Christian Mena, like there's a bunch of other, you know, like some teams had Dominican instructional league. So like we got some updated information on, on some of those guys, but like, you know, even the clubs that like did have, Dominican instructional, like, you know, I was talking to, you know, to another club about some of their players and they were like, yeah, like, you know, we brought in some of the guys, but like a lot of it was just like strength and conditioning stuff. Like they threw a little bit, but like they clearly weren't even ready to, to throw. So like just the pandemic really, you know, threw things off for, for a lot of guys. So that's, you know, one situation where I'm like definitely (laughs) very eager to, you know, see him actually get on, on the mound again, because I thought that was uh, that was one of their uh, more more intriguing signings from their their 2019 class. Yeah, that's somebody uh, when you mentioned him back in December of 19, that was somebody that we kept tabs on. And yeah, you're right. It's unfortunate we were, weren't able to see him throw. Uh, so we're looking forward to evaluating Mena as well. But how about Jose Rodriguez, Brian Ramos, Benjamin Bailey? I mean, these are popular names across the White Sox fan base. Any information about top uh, international youngsters that we should be keeping an eye on as well. Yeah, I think my my favorite of that group is Benjamin Bailey. Maybe I'm biased as a, a fellow Benny B, so I, I gotta like him a little bit. But uh, otherwise, that's about all all he and I have in common. I mean, this guy's just uh, a monster physically. I think he's like still listed six four, maybe, but like he's got to be like six five, six six. I, I mean. I, I, the White Sox signed this guy for like thirty-five grand. I don't quite understand how how they they got him for for that price because you know I I could see if you know you had some you know five nine five ten guy who's you know not all that tooled up but you know is a, a good game performer and is somebody where it's like all right well you got to see him more in games to appreciate him more over time. But uh, this guy is enormous. He's got big, big power. He, he moves pretty well for his size. I and mean, I think he's, you know, he's slowing down, which we, we kind of expected obviously at, at that size uh, to happen. But, um, but he, I mean, I mean, you can see the numbers he put up in, in the DSL last year. I mean, especially for such a, a big, long levered guy, he actually has a pretty good, you know, approach at, at the plate. Um, you know, our, our reports on him, uh, you know, I'll give credit to, you know, Josh Norris, who did our, our White Sox top 30 and did a lot of the legwork tracking down updated reports on uh, on all these guys from instructional leagues. So 
you know, our, our reports on scouts who saw him at instructs this year was, you know, it just, you know, he looked a little bit rusty, like in terms of pitch recognition and, and that kind of stuff. But, you know, with, you know, with, with all of these reports, you know, we're sort of trying to figure out and, you know, I think teams are trying to figure out how much to, to weigh that information after a lot of these players just, you know, have had such a, you know, a layoff from, you know, seeing live pitching and, and playing in, in competitive games and, you know, especially for him being one of the youngest players in camp. So, uh, but I, I do really like him from, uh, you know, from what he did in the DSL last year, uh, the power that he has, the physicality that he has. I think he's, uh, uh, you know, a really interesting guy. Hopefully we can just get like a, a normal season from him next year and, uh, in the Arizona league, uh, Brian Ramos, you, you mentioned too, uh, we probably got, got the, the best reports on him. Uh, you know, or at least Josh got probably the best reports on him out of instructional league on, on those guys from, from opposing scouts. Uh, definitely a lot of, a lot of bat speed and, and power with him. Uh, I'm, you know, a little bit more, you know, I probably have a little bit more reservations right now on, on him just as, as far as his, his approach and how that plays higher up. But uh, I know he was a guy who caught some, some attention from opposing scouts at, uh, at instructs. And yeah, you, you mentioned Jose Rodriguez too, uh, kind of a mix of, of some, some good reports and, and some bad at uh, out of instructional league on him. Uh, you know, I think the, the risk is, you know, the approach, some, some free swinging, tendencies but um you know when when he connects i think there's some probably some surprising uh pop in the in the bat that that he has so uh when he's good i mean you know he obviously hit well and uh i'm losing track of years like so i guess it would have been two years ago now. <laughs> i was gonna say last year but uh you know he, he hit well you know his uh in 2019 and in the arizona league so when he's you know when he's good he, he looks good but there are you know there are times where he just kind of gets away from himself and kind of needs to kind of rein in that uh that approach but you know all, all three of those guys are you know kind of like you said top top 30 guys for us at, at midseason and prospect handbook uh you know we finished that up so i can uh definitely confirm those those guys are all top 30 guys for us still right now yeah and i you know i think ramos and Rodriguez, I think we were expecting they're probably going to go to low A Canapolis, you know, if, if that, that season is there. I mean, without, you know, the White Sox lost Great Falls, their advanced rookie club. So, you know, some of these guys, they're going to have some tough decisions to make with some of these guys because they have a lot of recent prep picks too. And Chris Getz has been like very aggressive with, uh, with international signings. I mean, Ramos never even played in the DSL. So I'm going to be curious to see just like how they find enough playing time for all of these guys. But with that being said, you know, there's one other name that, you know, our readers, you know, because of Fernando Tatis, you know, they also, the White Sox signed Elijah Tatis. Now he, you know, he didn't play that much. He only played in the DSL. Marco Patti, I don't want to say that he's like raved about him, but you know, it's any look team sources. We know how optimistic team sources always are, but you know, he's talking about how he's added a ton of strength and he thinks he's going to stay at shortstop. So what can you, uh, what can you tell us about Elijah Tatis? Yeah, he's uh, I got, I did get to see him uh, at least just taking some, some BP. So uh, this was again, and at the end of 2019. So, um, and he, he did play in the DSL, uh, 2019 kind of struggled there but yeah it wasn't anything on on him that like really really jumped out to me but I mean his brother not that he's like a similar player to his brother but like his brother when he signed was like <laughs> I, th- I can tell you this like the White Sox I think were, were way higher on Fernando Tatis Jr. to you know to their credit than uh, probably every other club I think a lot of other clubs were very, very skeptical of uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and he got way better uh, in a hurry. So, um, you know, if if again, like you know, we didn't get to you know really see Elijah Tatis. I don't you know outside the White Sox, um, you know, organization. I don't think anybody uh, probably really saw much of uh, Elijah Tatis. So again, like you know, kind of like him, and same thing with Christian Mayne. It's it's tough to given an updated report on, on him right now. 
Um, you know, it seems like, you know, at least when he signed, he had, you know, pretty good hands and uh, feed and, you know, pretty good IQ for for the game. I don't know if there was any real big standout tools on him. And, and obviously the, their performance wasn't there, but uh, it's kind of tough for, for me to say where he's at right now, just given everything that, that happened in, in 2020, unfortunately. So just to close with you, how much has like these shifting periods, like, we, you know, we all talk about here how much it's hurt the White Sox and how much it hurts these teams. But, you know, you know, some of these trainers and the guys in the DR and Venezuela, how much has it hurt them to, you know, potentially have older players than ever, you know, there than they're housing these guys. And, you know, like they can't have their typical 13, 14 year old players because the signing periods were shifted. So how, how is, how has it affected, you know, like what those people do? I guess in regards to the international signing periods. Yeah, I mean it's you know so these these guys only get paid when when the players get signed. So like you know if if you you know you, you, these guys will train a whole bunch of players in in their program, and you know some programs are, are much more smaller and focused maybe on a you know a small handful of players, but you know some programs are you know significantly bigger. Uh, you know if if you have you know a bunch of players who who don't sign you you know then you've you know you've paid for all of their you know training and and housing and feeding them and and everything and and they don't make any money so that's you know just a normal part of the process but uh the the only way they you know they have cash coming in is when players get signed and and then those players get paid so you know you're you're pushing back the signing date from July 2nd to January 15th, uh, you're also pushing back when, when these guys actually have, you know, money coming in to, you know, continue supporting their, their programs. And, you know, you know, we'll list like the name of, you know, one trainer, for example, you know, for a player, but, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are almost like, you know, CEOs, you know, who have, you know, a whole staff of people working for them who they, you know, who they pay, uh, on a, you know, a regular, basis and you know they just they don't have that money coming into their program so it's you know not dissimilar from you know from other places that are kind of struggling because of covid so uh it's yeah it's definitely just had a uh definitely had a difficult impact on on you know a lot of these a lot of these guys who are you know training and you know and then and like you said kind of continuing to train these these players that they thought were going to sign on on July 2nd, they want to, you know, make sure they, you know, are still in, in good shape and, and staying sharp for, for these, for these teams. So, you know, that's just extra expenses for, uh, for them to carry from, you know, f- July 2nd through January 15th that they didn't think they were going to, you know, have before on, in addition to having all these other, you know, players who are, you know, younger players in, in their program. And, and on top of all the other, you know, challenges obviously there was a you know a scouting ban that, that that we talked about before that MLB put in place so uh you know that obviously made things more challenging and, and they're still kind of dealing with the you know the current virus situation right now where you know a lot of teams have uh you know reduced their their travel uh to to you know overseas for for a lot of cases um so I think it's just uh, you know, it's it's been a really challenging year for a lot of people, obviously, who who work for clubs. But I know that that impact certainly spills over to, um, you know, to a lot of these, you know, independent uh, academies that are are training these players, too. So it's just been a, a pretty lousy year for for everybody. But it's uh, kind of why part of why January 15th was such a, a cool day is just a good reason for for a lot of people in baseball to. Uh, you know, to be able to actually have a, a really good day and, and to be able to uh, to celebrate a pretty cool day for uh, for a lot of folks in in the game and uh, obviously for for the kids and and their families to be able to uh, to celebrate that uh, that that big day for those guys. Ben, brilliant stuff. Really, really good stuff. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We're privileged to have you. You were very generous with your time. Don't be a stranger. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much for jumping on the Future Sox podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love what uh, you guys do. You guys know this stuff uh, pretty inside and out, so I always uh, always enjoy chatting with you. 
That's Ben Badler of Baseball America. Follow him on Twitter at Ben Badler. Check him out and his work and everybody else's work over at BaseballAmerica.com. For James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin, as well as Ben Badler. You've been listening to the Future Sox podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to anchor.fm forward slash Future Sox for our full library. Of course, subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, Google. Thanks so much again for tuning in. We will talk to you all next time.